the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. and Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we look at the older son, a couple of initial comments. First of all, what I might say about the need for the conversion of the older son. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter in which this story is found, there's a criticism of Jesus that is taking place by those who are known as the Pharisees, very religious and moral Jews, because Jesus had been ministering to those who were considered sinners, tax collectors who worked for the Roman government and were considered to be ripping off the Jewish people, uh, prostitutes, and folks who were considered to be sinners like that. Jesus was ministering to them. In fact, Jesus would even take time to eat with them. And this was really irritating to these Pharisees and teachers of the law of the Old Testament. And so they're critical of Jesus. And then Jesus begins to teach these stories. I'm sure that the stories were not only heard by these Pharisees and teachers of the law, but also by the sinners as a larger crowd. And yet when we get to the older son, it seems like that Jesus here is particularly using this boy in this story to speak to these Pharisees and teachers of the law. That though they were very religious and they were very moral and very good compared to many in the crowd around them, they were still very lost. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, which I would recommend that we all read if you read, if you've not read it, but in it he points to really what he calls the sin under the sin, that the basic issue or problem with these Pharisees and teachers of the law was that they were looking, in a sense, to themselves as their saviors. In other words, God, I've been good. God, I've been moral. God, I've been religious. So, God, in a sense, you owe me your grace. And so they weren't so much focused on God's grace as they were their own goodness, just like the boy in the story. It wasn't about the father's grace. It was about, look, Dad, I've been doing right by you all these years. You really haven't honored me. You owe me, Dad. 
more focused on their goodness than the Father's grace. And we know that doesn't work. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. I can remember my dad through the years many times in his sermon saying this, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And here were these Pharisees and teachers of the law, as it were, focused on the good that they had done. And interestingly, they are representative of the older son. Now remember, the youngest, younger son was away from the father's grace and goodness in a far country. The older son is right in the front yard of the house where the father's grace is being displayed, where the fattened calf has been killed, where honors have been bestowed, where blessings are being shared, where celebration is going on. And the boy is right outside the door but he refuses to go in. And so in that sense, he's as distant from the Father's grace as the boy who had been in the far-off country. I like the comparison that someone gave years ago, and I heard it about, you can come to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you can take somebody who's got a military uniform on with combat boots, fatigues for the field of battle, a big rifle on their shoulder along with a backpack filled with items for being out on the battlefield, a helmet on their head, back them up as far as you want, have them run to the edge of the Grand Canyon and leap. They're not going to get very far. And they're sure not going to get to the other side. Then you can take an Olympic long jumper who has meddled in the Olympics in long jumping. And they are down to the bare necessities of what will cover their body. Their body has been toned and prepared to leap as far as humanly possible. And you can back them up and run them to the edge of the Grand Canyon and they'll leap much further than the one dressed in the military outfit. But they're still going to fall far short and not get to the other side. One son in a far country away from the Father's grace the other son, right in the front yard by the house of the Father's grace, but still removed from it because refusing to go in. And so whether it was the sinner who the Pharisee considered needs to be saved or the Pharisee themselves, it's all a matter of all of us needing the grace of God. The second comment I'd like to make is about the older son himself as we will think in a moment about forgiving older son types, we need to be reminded that perhaps on occasion, though we may often see ourselves as the younger son who's been away from God and has come back and been received into the grace of God, if we're not careful at times, we can be guilty of being older son types as well. Some of the characteristics that Tim Keller shared in his book, The Prodigal God, that uh, often characterize the older son mentality and attitude is often angry. In other words, very faithful to serve God and do what is right until something in their life goes wrong. And then it's like all of a sudden they're very angry. Wait a minute. 
I've lived for God. Wait a minute. I've tried to do right. Wait a minute. I've tried to be moral and good. How could you let this happen to me, God? Angry. Sometimes characterized by a superiority. In other words, in my self-righteousness, I often think that I'm better, maybe even than some of the folks that I go to church with or folks that I see on the street, or folks that I work with, or even in my own family. A spirit of superiority. Sometimes a characteristic of joyous, uh, joyless, fear-based compliance. In other words, the son in the story says, I've been slaving for you. It wasn't a service to the father out of love. It was like, man, okay, I have to do this. I will do this. And often, that is the person who... You know, they really don't rejoice in their salvation. They really don't enjoy their Christianity. They're very committed to, boy, I'd better cross this T and I'd better dot that I or I'm going to be in trouble. Or it can also be just simply the idea that they live consistently with a lack of assurance of God's love. I've tried to be good. I've tried to do right. But I wonder, have I done good enough? Have I done right enough? Is there something I forgot, something I missed, something I did in ignorance that's not right? Am I going to be in trouble? And they constantly, in their efforts, live with the concern, have I been good enough to deserve God's grace and God's blessing? And you see, that misses the whole point. Because again, it's about what they've done instead of God's grace. I also thought it was interesting as I studied my favorite commentator, William Barclay, who wrote, you know, many years ago. But he characterized the older son as well. And he said one thing about the older son that I found interesting. He said the older son accuses the younger son of hanging out with harlots. And he says he has a peculiarly nasty mind because harlots are never mentioned in the story until the older son mentions them. And Barclay said this, he said the older son was perhaps accusing the younger son of sins he himself would have liked to have committed if he had dared. And you know, sometimes those who are hypercritical of others and their wrongs, if we only could know the heart of the hypercritical, sometimes they're envious thinking, I'd really like to do that myself. And so some interesting characteristics. And so I'll be honest with you, as I study this story, I find myself so often the younger son, but sometimes the older son as well. But coming into our transformed living, as we have been being taught about the life of Christ within us and being able through Christ to forgive others, we are called upon to forgive the older son types. In other words, perhaps it's that religious zealot who thinks that your faith or your walk with God or your church is just a little less spiritual than theirs. Or your take on the scripture or your interpretation or your spirituality is a little inferior to theirs. Perhaps it's a matter of the political opponent who views your views as a little too narrow or a little too liberal. Perhaps it's the critic who doesn't think you raise your kids just like you should. Or you don't handle your money just like you should. Maybe it's somebody at school 
who thinks, you know what? You're not athletic enough. Or you're not attractive enough. Or you're not intelligent enough. In other words, you're not part of the cool crowd. Maybe it's even somebody in your own family or marriage who in a sense somehow thinks that you are beneath them. And somehow you lower the standard of the family. You embarrass the family. Now with those kind of folks, let's get honest. Sometimes it is hard to forgive such unforgiving people. Sometimes it is difficult to tolerate such intolerant people. Sometimes it's a challenge to be spiritual toward those who consider themselves superior to us. Sometimes it's a challenge to be a blessing to those who consider themselves better than we are. Sometimes it's really a necessity to have the Spirit of Christ to love those who look down their nose at us. I think we find some help here in this story today, to attempt in that transformed life of Christ to forgive even older son types. First of all, remember God also loves them. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Now, we've seen how wonderful this father is, that in the, in the custom of that age and time, uh, fathers like that didn't run. That was undignified. And yet to the younger son coming out of the far country, the father pulls up his robe and runs to that son. And we're amazed and blessed by that. But do you see, even with the older son, what the father does? The Bible says here in the NIV, the father went out and pleaded with him. I thought, well, that's a great word, so I'm going to do a Greek study on that. You know, I'm such a Greek scholar. So I got out all my books on the Greek, man, and I studied all this word and all this Greek and all this depth about pleading. And guess what it means? Pleading. It's an attitude of reaching out with comfort and concern. Son, I want you to come in and experience the grace that your brother's experiencing as well. I want you to come in and receive the bestowment of my love. Yes, God loves older son types too. We hear a lot of preaching, and I've certainly done my share through the years, about the Pharisees. Boy, those Pharisees, those religious do-gooders, those moral high-roaders, and boy, I'll tell you, they were always against Jesus. But can I remind you that along the way, God worked in the lives of a couple of Pharisees too? Did you ever hear of a fellow named Nicodemus? In fact, if it wasn't for Nicodemus going to Jesus by night, we wouldn't have the great passage about being born again. That same Nicodemus, whom the Bible says is a Pharisee, actually defends Jesus before the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, John chapter 7. John chapter 19, it is Nicodemus who goes with the rich Joseph of Arimathea to beg the body of Jesus and to bury Jesus' crucified body in the tomb. And then Pharisees go to Philippians in chapter 3 and it'll blow your mind to realize that the great apostle Paul 
who wrote so much of the Bible, who planted so many of the early churches, who probably single-handedly in church history has done more to spread the gospel of Christ than any other individual. Did you know what the Bible says about him? He was a Pharisee. And God converted him and God used him. He went from Saul the Pharisee to Paul the apostolic missionary. Yes, God loves even the Pharisees. And so when somebody is hard for you to forgive because you feel like they're kind of, you know, putting themselves above you, please remember God loves them too. That'll help us to forgive 1 Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, I would that we pray for everyone. And down in verse 3, God who would have all men to be saved. So we can be a little more forgiving when we remember God loves them too, even if we have a hard time doing it. Secondly, they are our brothers because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The, the son in his anger says to the father, your son that squandered your wealth. But the father has to remind him, now wait a minute, son. This younger guy, he is your brother also. You know, I find it that in the, in the fellowship of believers, it's often easy to talk about our brothers when we have people who we have common ground with. Oh, boy, a band of brothers, our brothers and our sisters, because we have things we're commonly committed to. We feel a sense of unity and bond. And then I, I just recently I was in a meeting where people were talking about, you know, our brothers and sisters, the people we need to have compassion for because Matthew 25 talks about going out and you find people who are hungry or naked or in prison or sick and you visit them or you clothe them or you feed them. And Jesus said, when you did it to these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So we talk about what common cause with that band of brothers, those committed to the same things we are, or we talk about compassion, those whom we are to have compassion on these poor brothers and sisters that we ought to care for and share with. But here we're reminded that the younger son and the older son are also brothers. Had an interesting experience just recently. I went out to Los Angeles a few weeks ago and I had a priority list of a few things I wanted to do while I was getting my daughter settled out there. I One priority, I wanted to stick my feet in the Pacific Ocean Love that ocean. I also had to make sure I got the In-N-Out Burger. Got to have an In-N-Out Burger, absolutely. But my main priority was to go to the grave of my biological mother, Wanda, and the grave of my little sister, Cheryl D. Cheryl D. died as a baby, and at that point, it was just my dad and my mom and myself and my little sister, and actually my mom passed away first, and then my sister and they're buried about 20 feet apart from each other in a little cemetery in Commerce, California. And so as I was planning to go there, my brother, because after those deaths, my father remarried, and I have two sisters and a brother from that union, all younger than I, of course. So 
Anyway, my brother happened to be ministering in California, and he heard I was going to be out there. He called me, said, let's get together. And I said, okay, well, I'm going up to L.A. Friday because I want to see those graves. And my brother said, you know, Tim, I don't ever remember going to the grave to see your mom's grave or the baby's grave, and so I'd like to go along. I said, great. So we met at the cemetery there, and we walked to the grave, and we looked at my mother's grave and shed some tears and thought about that and so on. And then we walked over to the grave, and, you know, for some reason in all of my years... I've always thought about kind of the family that I had, my dad and my mom and myself and then my baby sister. And then my dad remarried and my second mother, my adoptive mother was wonderful. And my brother and my two sisters never treated me as a half-brother. We've always felt a full unity. But, you know, I, I somehow in my mind never thought of that little baby girl as their sister too. I just always thought she was my sister. And so my brother and I are looking at the grave of Cheryl D. And I'm talking about my sister. And all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, Paul, this is your sister too. It never dawned on me before that Cheryl D. is not only my sister, but we all share the same father. This is your sister too. And I'll be honest, in 50-something years, I don't think that it ever registered with my mind. This was his sister too. And you know, sometimes... We have people we really connect with. Boy, they're our brothers and sisters. Or people we show compassion to. Oh, they're our brothers and sisters. We need to minister. But even difficult types, they're our brothers and sisters too. And maybe when we gain that perspective, it helps us to be a little more forgiving. Thirdly, consider their perspective. And here's the older son talking angrily, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. Now, whether the boy spent, him on, spent the money on prostitutes, we honestly don't know. But as Doug said, the money was somehow wasted, lost. It's God that had been given to the younger son. Consider the perspective of the older son. Consider his perspective from the issue of, you know, that money's wasted. That money's gone. And naturally, that would be upsetting. Father, he dishonored you. That would be upsetting. I'm not here today to defend the older son. What I am saying is sometimes when someone is upset with you or I, try to put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Do you see why maybe they might have a concern about you? I've had some people along the journey been pretty upset with me. And as I look at my life and some of the things I've done along the way, instead of getting angry and upset, I say, you know, I can, I can see why they could get a little upset with me. Consider their perspective. This other son, he's worked hard. He stayed with the dad. Whatever his attitude was, he had stayed with the dad. He had not wasted the family finances. So we can kind of consider his perspective here. Doug, when you're on staff at Hebron, leads us occasionally to do a personality test. And it's not so much to show you what your personality is as much as it's to get the staff to appreciate that we all have different types of personality. And so sometimes we're going to react or respond or do differently than someone else would do. 
That doesn't necessarily mean we're always right or they're always wrong. What it means is there's just some difference. And it's been very helpful to me. Oh, you say, Tim, it's been helpful to you to understand when staff members don't respond like you would respond. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when I goof up and they get on me, I can say, it's my personality. I can't help it. I'm kidding, okay? But it's really a matter of considering someone else's perspective. I remember years ago as pastor of a very fundamentalist Baptist church, I had a fellow from a Serbian Orthodox church came. He said, I really like your preaching. I want to join your church. I said, wait a minute, man. Serbian Orthodox in a Baptist church? I don't know, Brother Mike, if we could do that or not. I said, well, we got to sit down and meet. I said, now, I've heard about these folks and, you know, some of the rituals they have and the icons. Well, man, that's like idol worship to me. And I said, now, what's going on here? And, you know, as he began to explain to me the church history and the tradition and the scriptural focus, oh, I didn't necessarily agree with all of it, and I certainly wasn't going to adopt all of it, but it gave me a greater appreciation for where he And those in that fellowship were coming from. You know, it's been said that the old Native American, the Native Americans had an old saying, never criticize another brave until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. And the next time somebody irritates you or you feel like they're acting superior to you or looking down at you or being difficult with you, before you get too upset, say, Lord, can I be a little more forgiving here because maybe... I need to consider where they're coming from, how they view things, what their background is, what their efforts have been. And that may help us to be a little more forgiving toward that older son type. Number four, be thankful for their positives. The older son answers his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You know, in a sense, the younger son can be thankful that the older son had stayed by the stuff in the family finances and family property and with the family father because if he too had gone out and wasted everything like the younger son did, when the younger son had come home, there wouldn't have been a ring for his finger. There wouldn't have been a robe for his back. There wouldn't have been sandals for his feet. There wouldn't have been a fattened calf to kill and to throw a party if the older son had squandered his portion as well. So in a sense, we can be thankful that he didn't do that. You know, we can also be thankful that the older son, whatever was in his heart, that physically and literally he didn't go out and get in the pig pen of life. We can be thankful for that. Sometimes in sermons that I've preached, as I thought about it here at Hebron, I thought about uh, speaking from from the perspective of the church culture that I came from, uh, in many ways very narrow, very restrictive, uh, very separated. And so almost giving the impression sometimes, boy, I'm so glad that I'm out of there. But you know, on the other hand, I'm very thankful that along the way I met so many wonderful Christians there. I saw so many people come to Christ in those settings and still do. 
I'm thankful that my love for the Bible and my love for the hymns of the church came out of that culture. It was in that culture that I was ordained to the gospel ministry. It was in that culture that I was trained up in the things of the Lord. And so why am I not always have agreement? Am I to be glad that now I'm in a setting where I'm not dealing with some of those things? I don't want to lose sight of the fact of the many wonderful positives that are there. I'll be honest with you. If you look hard enough at even people you like, you can find something you won't like. And on the other hand, if you look hard enough at people you don't like, I'll bet you'll find something you can like. So often our attitude is, oh, I like him, but... And we accent a negative. Oh, that our spirits could be turned to say, well, you know, I'm not crazy about him, but an accent a positive. Please don't forget that the one criticized Jesus himself for eating with sinners. He also on occasion in the New Testament ate with Pharisees as well. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, 15 through 18? He said, some preach Christ out of sincerity, others out of envy. Some preach Christ to truly spread the message. Some preach Christ because they're doing it in a way hoping to afflict and irritate me. He said, honestly, I don't care. He said, the positive is Christ is being preached. Brothers and sisters, the next time you feel unforgiving towards somebody who you feel is kind of, you know, putting you down, let's remember if we look hard enough, there are some things we can give thanks for about their lives. Finally, continue to party. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. You know, even though the older son was angry and he refused to go in and Jesus doesn't give us the end of the story whether he ultimately went in or didn't, we have no record that the father stopped the party because the older son wanted him to. We have no record that the younger son left the party because the older son was upset. As far as we know, they continued to party. And brothers and sisters, if you have been saved by the grace of God and you know that you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, even if others are critical or look down upon you or put you down or consider you some way inferior to them, just keep on partying in the grace of God. You know why? Because when you're at a party, you're in a good mood. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a lot more forgiving when I'm in a good mood than when I'm in a bad mood. Not only that, I think of John chapter 9. Here was a man who was born blind. And Jesus Christ comes along and heals him. And unfortunately, some Pharisees, some religious folks came along and said, Hey! You're not supposed to be, you know, what do you mean you're, you, 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 you were blind? You know, you're seeing and the guy's walking around on the Sabbath and all of that, and they're having a fit. He said, well, this fella, him, I said, let me tell you about that fella. 
Why, that fellow Jesus, he's a sinner. Where have we heard that before? He's a sinner. And I love what the guy says. Just like to somebody who would say to you, hey, you're not sanctified enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not successful enough. You're not spirit-filled enough. You're not contemporary enough. You're not traditional enough. You're too narrow. Hey, you're too liberal. Whatever it is, brother or sister, if you're rejoicing in the grace of God, you can answer them, hey, I don't know about all that. What I do know is I was blind, and now I can see. Rejoicing. In the grace of God, that good mood spirit, if you will, can help you to be forgiving even toward those who wouldn't want you to rejoice. The pastor that I was ordained under, Dr. Ed Nelson, his favorite hymn was only a sinner. One of the verses says, Once I was foolish, sin ruled my heart, causing my footsteps from God to depart. Jesus has found me. Happy my case. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. When we remember that we are sinners saved by the grace of God, whether a pig pen sinner or a pharisaical sinner, then you know what? When others afflict us, we can forgive even as Christ. 